And we want to turn this afternoon to Leviticus chapter 10. Leviticus chapter 10, it has 20 verses. We'll read and look at the first 11 verses. Leviticus chapter 10, verses 1 through 11. Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified, and before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace, and Moses called Mishal and Elzaphan, the sons of Uziel, uncle of Aaron, and said to him, said to them, Come near, carry your brothers away from the front of the sanctuary and out of the camp. So they came near and carried them in their coats out of the camp as Moses had said. And Moses said to Aaron and to Eleazar and to Ithamar his sons, Do not let the hair of your heads hang loose and do not tear your clothes lest you die and wrath come upon all the congregation. But let your brothers, the whole house of Israel, bewail the burning that the Lord has kindled. And do not go outside the entrance of the tent of meeting, lest you die, for the anointing oil of the Lord is upon you. And they did according to the word of Moses. And the Lord spoke to Aaron, saying, Drink no wine or strong drink, you or your sons with you. When you go into the tent of meeting, lest you die, it shall be a statute forever throughout your generations. You are to distinguish between the holy and the common and between the unclean and the clean, and you are to teach the people of Israel all the statutes that the Lord has spoken to them by Moses. The book of Leviticus, of course, is for many Christians a difficult book to read, at least the early chapters, much of it has to do with ritual regulations. The theme of Romans, however, concerns holiness, the subject of holiness, what it is to be holy unto the Lord. And the underlying theme of the book of Leviticus has to do with the whole matter of approaching God in worship. How God, how the holy God of heaven is to be approached in worship. Chapters 1 through 7 deal with laws related to sacrifices the congregation were to was the congregation of Israel was to offer chapters 8 through 10 had to do with laws related to the priesthood in chapter 8 we have the consecration of Aaron and his sons to the priesthood and of course prior to their entering upon their office they too had to offer sacrifices. They had to offer an atoning sacrifice for their sins. And it's a reminder to us as we read of this that those who lead the people of God are not beyond the need of having their sins dealt with before the Lord. Even the priests, those who represented God, those who stood on behalf of God for the people, were themselves sinners who were in need of an atoning sacrifice for their sins. And indeed, 
This reminds us of what Paul writes in Romans chapter 3, verses 23 and 24, when he states, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And of course, a sacrificial atonement had to be made for Aaron and his sons before they could be consecrated to God. In chapter 9, verses 1 to 4, we see that before carrying out their responsibility as priests, Aaron and his sons had to be cleansed, they had to be prepared for the service. Verses 15 through 21 of chapter 9, they offered four sacrifices on behalf of Israel. This constituted their first priestly duty, a sin offering in respect of their cleansing from sin, that is the congregation of Israel, a burnt offering signifying their consecration to God, a cereal offering to indicate their thankfulness to God, and a peace offering which symbolized their fellowship with God. Now up to this point, everything had been going well. The priests had been consecrated to God. They were about to enter upon their service for God. And yet, like a fly in the ointment, an incident occurred which spoiled everything, so to speak. We have in this chapter, Leviticus chapter 10, a sad account of irreverence, the irreverence of Nadab and Abihu in verses 1 to 3. Because there in verses 1 to 3, the Bible tells us, Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And here we see in verse 2, here we see two of Aaron's sons brazenly and presumptuously taking it upon themselves to burn incense before the Lord in a manner that was not sanctioned by the Lord. They offered to the Lord what Moses described as unauthorized fire, that is fire that was strange or foreign as the Hebrew word connotes. And based on Leviticus chapter 16 verse 12 as well as Numbers 16 verse 46, it appears that the only fire that was divinely authorized to be used in connection with the offering of incense was that which came specifically from the altar of burnt offering. So Nadab and Abihu offered strange fire, unauthorized fire, in that the fire was taken from some place other than the altar before the Lord. It was strange fire before the Lord because it was such fire which he had not commanded them. And clearly Nadab and Abihu were not left in the dark as regards what God required of them when it came to the whole matter of how God was to be worshipped, of how he was to be approached. In fact, verse 1 suggests that they were given clear instructions as to how they were to proceed in the worship of God. The very fact that it says they offered unauthorized fire suggests that they knew well what was authorized and what was not. Well, what was the underlying issue with what these young priests did? To begin with, they were acting on their own initiative. They were simply acting according to what came out of their heads 
according to what came out of their minds and not according to what the Lord had prescribed. In fact, constantly throughout chapters 8 and 9, we come across the expression, as the Lord commanded. And there's a reason why we have that recurrent expression. Whenever we see a recurrent expression in Scripture, it is there for a purpose. And the purpose of these words was to underscore the fact Israel and the priests in particular were to understand that worship was to be according to God's prescription, which I highlights the truth that worship is divinely prescribed. That it is God who sets the agenda with respect to how he is to be approached in worship. But here it was that Nadab and Abihu were going contrary to what God had commanded. In offering incense to the Lord with fire he did not authorize, they were acting in autonomy of God. Simply put, they were doing their own thing. They were doing their own thing and in so serious a matter as worshipping the most high and holy God of heaven, theirs was an attitude, we would say, of brazen self-will and presumptuousness. It may have been they reasoned as many erroneously and misguidedly do today when it comes to worship, that as long as they are sincere, as long as they are well-intentioned in their worship, then that's all that matters. Forget about doctrines, forget about rules and regulations related to the worship of God. God will accept whatever is offered to him as long as it is done in the name of worship. As long as the heart is in the right place, as long as we are sincere, they say, then that worship is fine with God. And so these two brothers ventured to take fire from outside the sanctuary, presuming on the idea that fire is fire wherever it is obtained. They were suggesting, they were suggesting as it were, that as long as it's fire, it will get the job done. God will not care much about this being done. He will not care much about this because it's offered in the name of worship to him anyway. And that, you see, is what is known as will worship. What is will worship? Will worship is that which derives from the human will. It is that which derives from the human mind. It does not relate to what God orders, but to what originates from the human will. And yet, we see as sincerely intentioned as these young men were, as sincerely intentioned as they professed to be, what they did constituted gross irreverence toward God. As one Bible writer, Christopher Wright, one commentator, Christopher Wright, notes, he says regarding these two sons of Aaron, quote, their behavior was not just an accidental slip in a minor detail of ritual, but a cavalier disregard for the most serious meaning of the events they were part of, end quote. The thing they did, that is Nadab and Abihu, what they did in offering incense to the Lord was an egregious offense to the Lord. Why? Because God was not a part of it. God did not sanction it. Well, what was the consequence of this brazen act of the theirs? We're told in verse 2 that fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. The Lord swiftly and summarily slew them. 
And it's interesting to note that whereas in Leviticus chapter 9 and verse 24, when fire, the Bible tells us, came out from before the Lord, consumed the burnt offering, indicating his approval, indicating his delight with what had been offered to him, here in chapter 10 and verse 2, fire came out from before the Lord, but it did not consume the offering this time. It consumed Nadab and Abihu serving as a token of God's wrath, of his displeasure against these young men. Instantly they were devoured by the flames of God's holy wrath, even as they stood before the Lord venturing to minister to him. Theirs was a quick and sudden punishment by death. And we notice that the Lord did not give these leaders, these two sons of Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, a pass because of who they were, because they held a prominent position as priests, as leaders in Israel. You see, when it comes to God exercising judgment against offenders, when it comes to his holding people accountable for their actions, God is no respecter of persons. He has no favorites when it comes to exercising his justice. Notice, following the Lord's judgment on Nadab and Abihu, verse 3 tells us, Then Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord has said, Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified, and before all the people, I will be glorified. It's as though Moses is reinforcing here, even Against the backdrop of God's judgment, Moses is, as it were, holding up the word of God and he's saying, listen, see, it's right here. You have heard it that God does not tolerate irreverence. He does not tolerate flippancy when it comes to worshiping him. What was Moses doing here? He was using the occasion as a teaching moment to reinforce to Aaron the critical importance of holding God with utmost reverence in approaching and worshiping him. Also, he seems to have been suggesting to Aaron that since God had made this abundantly clear, any kind of protest, any kind of complaint against this drastic action of the Lord would constitute rebellion against his righteous judgment. In response to Moses' comment, the end of verse 3 says, And Aaron held his peace. Well, what more could he have done? Again, what a contrast to chapter 9, verse 24, when the fire of God approvingly fell on the sacrifices of burnt offering. At that time, the Bible tells us, when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. This time, the fire fell on Nadab and Abihu. And what we have here in chapter 10 and verse 3 was Aaron's response of utter silence. No doubt, his was a silence of shock. This was a silence of bewilderment his was a silence of deep grief you see it was God's express will that his people and more so their spiritual leaders the priest render to him obedience and reverence in matters related to his worship and no doubt this was most soberingly impressed on the people when they saw the bodies of Aaron's sons still clad in their priestly garbs, removed from the sanctuary and taken outside the camp. What a sight that must have been. We see that in verses 4 and 5. 
That picture must have imprinted, must have impressed deeply on the minds of the people that God is not a God to be trifled with. Moses, we see then in verses 6 and 7, charged Aaron and his surviving sons, notice that they should not observe any mourning rituals lest they die and they bring wrath upon the entire congregation what they were to do they were to allow the rest of the congregation to go through the morning rituals in addition they weren't to leave the sanctuary while the anointing oil was upon them lest they die moses further charge in verses 8 and 9 he gave this stern charge to aaron he says this Drink no wine or strong drink, you or your sons with you, when you go into the tent of meeting, lest you die, it shall be a statute forever throughout your generations. Here we see a strict prohibition against the priest drinking on the job. And with this command, coming right after the tragic death of Nadab and Abihu, one wonders whether their failure, whether their irreverence did not stem from their being intoxicated with wine. We can't know for sure, but generally speaking, what we can say is that God clearly wanted the priests to be in possession of their faculties whenever they attended to the holy things of the Lord. He wanted for them to be thinking straight. He wanted for them not to be fumbling around the altar, not to be stumbling around, but to be in possession of their faculties even as they administered the holy things. You see, their job entailed precision. Their job entailed faithfulness to God's directive, and if the mind was in any way distracted with substances, then that would prove fatal for them. They were not to carry out the service of the Lord in a scareless, slipshod manner. Now, the Bible warns in various places, the Bible warns of the danger of strong drink. The Bible warns that strong drink can distort one's thinking and it can corrupt one's conduct. You'll see that in Proverbs chapter 23, verses 20, 21, as well as verses 29 through 35. The Bible is not against drinking per se. In fact, you'll not find a scripture where drinking is outrightly prohibited. But what we do find in scripture is a warning, constant warnings for that matter, concerning the danger of strong drink. And the priests in particular were not to drink whenever they were going into God's presence. In fact, drunkenness among the priests became a problem later on in Israel. The prophet spoke constantly of this. Note, for example, Isaiah 28, verses 7 through 8. Here's what the prophet Isaiah said as he observed the priest in his day. He says this, These, speaking of the priest, also reel with wine and stagger with strong drink. The priests and the prophets reel with strong drink. They are swallowed by wine. They stagger with strong drink. They reel in vision. They stumble in giving judgment for all tables are full of filthy vomit with no space left. What a horrible sight that must have been. Imagine the priest going around and he's there, you know, stumbling and fumbling and he's slurring in his speech. What a sight, what a pathetic sight that must have been in ancient Israel. Likewise, the prophet Hosea lamented the conditions of his day where the priests were concerned. He says in Hosea 4 verse 11, whoredom, wine, and new wine, which take away the understanding. 
Now all these instructions Moses gave Aaron and his sons, and all these instructions served to reinforce the point that being holy, the Lord was to be held in strict reverence. Now as we wrap up, the lessons from this grim incident are very clear. And it's, very, it's almost self-evident, but we list, nevertheless, the major lessons we learned from this incident. And we could really subsume it to one main lesson, which is this, that you and I are not, you and I are not at liberty to worship and serve the Lord in any fashion we please. You and I are not at liberty to worship God based on our imagination. It is not left to our creativity, is not left to our ingenuity, is not even left to our sincerity, for that matter, as to how God is to be worshipped. John chapter 4 verse 24 tells us, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Notice that last expression, in truth, which is to say we are to worship God along the lines of his revealed truth. Yes, we must also worship him in sincerity, but we must make sure that we worship him according to the scriptures. Our worship of the living holy God must be along the lines of what he has expressly outlined in his word. He is the one who sets the agenda as regards how he is to be approached and worshipped. Secondly, reinforced by this passage is the solemn truth that to whom much is given of him, much will be required, Luke 12, 48. That those who are in positions of spiritual leadership will be subject to greater accountability and stricter judgment, James 3 and verse 1. As we said earlier, God did not give Nadab and Abihu a pass because of their position, because Aaron was a prominent figure, their daddy was a prominent figure, they were priests. No, not because they were in positions of leadership. On the contrary, notice God took swift, severe action against them because of the egregiousness of their sins. God took such drastic action of judgment against them because, here's the point, if left unchecked, sin in the lives of God's people and more so in the lives of those who lead God's people has a way of contaminating, of corrupting the rest of the body, the rest of the congregation. What it does, it emboldens God's people to sin. That is why, for example, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, Paul will say concerning elders who are sinning, he says, rebuke them before all so that the rest, that is the rest of the church, may see and fear. In fact, in years to come, the failure of the priest to honor God's people, to honor God before the people, was a terrible ill to which the prophets would continually call attention. As in the case of the prophet Samuel, who confronted Eli concerning the excesses of his son, the immoral lifestyle they were leading, such that they were causing the rest of Israel to sin. First Samuel twelve, first Samuel two, verses twelve through seventeen, verse verses twenty nine through thirty, as well as chapter three and verse thirty. We see the same thing in the prophet Malachi addressing the priests of his day for their irreverent, slipshod manner in which they offered. 
sacrifices to the Lord, and in so doing, they created a negative impact on the people of God. Malachi 1 verse 6 to chapter 2 and verse 9. Serving God, we see then, is no light matter. Worshipping him is no trivial matter. Worshipping him is serious. It is a solemn affair. It is a privilege, but yes, it has with it peril. Because our God, the Bible says, is a consuming fire. He's a God of love. He has saved. He has redeemed us. But we are to what? Fear, we are to live in holy fear, recognizing who he is. He is the holy God who is not to be trifled with. May God bless these truths to our hearts. And even as we think of our great priest, our great high priest, through whom we offer worship to God, our Lord Jesus, may we be encouraged, may we be strengthened in our efforts at worshiping. 